Today on CityCast DC, we're in Crispus Attics Park with Tyrone Goodwin, who helped transform the space from asphalt into a hidden gem. It's Tuesday, August 23rd, 2022. I'm Bridget Todd, and this is CityCast DC. We're on the corner of North Capitol and V. Looks like any normal city alley, dumpsters, etc. I don't really see how we're going to be encountering a park, but I have been told there's a park this way. Oh, here we are, as promised, at the end of this alley that is very much a city alley. There is a park. It's green, it's lush. There are beautiful flowers. We saw someone set up with hammocks, people with laptops sitting in the grass. You definitely get to feel like you're in this collective backyard space that is really shared by a community of neighbors. So yeah, today on CityCast DC, we're at Crispus Attics Park. Tyrone, thank you for meeting me on this beautiful Friday afternoon. You're welcome. What makes this park such a special place? It's kind of like a lovely surprise in the middle of the neighborhood, in the middle of D.C. I mean, there's not very many parks in alleys. It's just a lovely surprise. Yeah, it definitely comes out of nowhere. Can you tell us a little bit about the history of the park? What used to be here and how did it come to be this beautiful space? The land itself was owned by a C&P telephone company originally. This was a cable yard and there was a building at the west end of the park that handled the cables. But I believe in the 80s when that part of the business was no longer necessary. It was given to the neighborhood. So that's when a nonprofit was established. And that lasted for a while and the building was used for a community center. And I think the city had provided some monetary support for that. But by the time I came here in 92, that building had burned. The nonprofit had dissolved. And really there was not a whole lot of neighborhood memory as to what it was. This was in the tail end of the crack epidemic. Wow. And so there were just people living out here in cars and doing things to make living staying in cars. The thing that got us out of our houses in the 90s to say, we need to figure out what this empty lot is, was we saw it listed as a tax sale in the paper because it lost its nonprofit status, it's accruing taxes, the taxes weren't paid, and now it's for sale. And that's when the neighbors were like, whoa, we better figure out what this is or it's going to be condos. (laughs) So we got ahead of that. So what we did is we reestablished the board. We had to reestablish a nonprofit. And as part of that, we had to convince the city to forgive property taxes and mm-hmm. utility bills. And so with one hand, we had to convince the city, hey, forgive us hundreds of th- thousands of dollars <laughs> worth of bills because we're going to do very nice things. And with the other hand, we had to do something very nice. And so we started building this park. What was that process like convincing the city to take a pretty big step in forgiving all those bills on the promise that it will be worth it? Oh, and while the city was running short of money, (laughs) you know, this was not in the heyday of D.C. This was in the rough days of D.C. And so it took years, plural. It took the help of American University Legal Clinic, who worked for us pro bono for years. A law had to be passed in D.C. to forgive all those taxes, right? They drafted the legislation for the council. Meanwhile, Howard University Community Liaison was working with us to try to envision what would this look like as a park? What would be a good community use of it? And so with those two major forces of support and literal jackhammers and dump trucks that we did ourselves, we made it happen. What was that like doing all of that work yourself as a community coming together and like swinging hammers? It was fun. I was younger. 
<laughs> so, <laughs> so, so, I mean, it was great. It was very community team building, right? I mean, there was a chain link fence all around this property. We had to cut it down. We had to bring in the railroad ties so that it didn't just flow into the alley and people just didn't use it for parking anymore, mm-hmm. right? Um, we had to get the cars towed. We had to get the building torn down. The city had to help with that. So that was some more legal stuff that we had to do. This was all asphalt. So that was fun, jackhammering it up and finagling and begging for mulch and begging for dirt from different people. <laughs> it, it was years, but it was fun. I've heard that you're kind of like the unofficial mayor of the park. Uh, okay. <laughs> is that is that not a title you're comfortable claiming? It's not. <laughs> I just, I blinked and I became the old guy. I don't know how that happened, but yeah. Do you have any favorite memories of time spent here? Yeah. So the part that's, that's dearest to me is in the, maybe 10 years ago, there was still a good number of African-American youth in the neighborhood and youth as in teenagers. And I could see on the email threads that there were people saying, who are those people hanging at the corner and what are they doing? And there was literally talk about getting some sort of alarm at the corner that made some noise that only bothered mosquitoes and teenagers, literally. So they were trying to shoo these kids off the corner because I don't know who they are and they don't look like me. And so myself and Reggie, who lives right behind me, we talked to the boys. And we got them to work with us to work in the park, to weed, to cut grass, to put down these flagstones. So we worked them for about two years as mentors. We worked with them. They got paid in cash immediately after their work was finished. So I'd have boys standing right there in the alley at 8 o'clock yelling up into my window, Mr. Goodwin, I'm ready to work. Come on out. I'm like, oh, hey. you know? <laughs> But that was real special to me. And we named them the Yard Squad. And they got T-shirts and they got business cards. And next thing you know, instead of who are those boys, it was, can the yard squad come work in my yard? I'll pay them. That was a special time for me. That's incredible. And I think it's a good example of the way that, like, you can really foster those community bonds and, like, kickstart some, like, real, I don't know, like an appreciation of the space in youth. Yeah. I'm proud of them. They did a good job. I mean, we're still in contact with some. One during COVID, he talked about us so much that his fiance, she was about to bear his child. She wanted to meet us before she had the kids. So we met in the park. And so we did a good job with all of these kids. And I'm proud of all the boys. Some are doing better than others, but I'm, I'm proud of all of them. That's such a beautiful story. And, you know, you mentioned that one of the yard squad was getting married. There have been a number of weddings here at the park, right? Oh, yeah. We had so many weddings, we had to start charging because you don't want to be the free wedding venue. You get overrun. <laughs> so <laughs> for that reason, and just to take care of the sod because people were trampling it, we had to have a, just a slight barrier up. But we're happy to see weddings, stand-up weddings. We protect this grass. Grass is expensive. People don't realize that until you start managing a park. <laughs> so, but yeah, we're happy to have the weddings. What do you see as the future of the park? Like, where do you see it going from here? We want to keep it just like this. We have a relationship with Casey Trees. And so no one will ever build here because Casey Trees owns the building rights and they like trees. So our objective is to continue this way for it to continue to being a park. Yeah, that's it. So this is kind of a curveball question. I was looking up Crispus Attic's before the interview, and he has like a a big tie with Boston, a Revolutionary War. Do you have any idea of like how the park became named after someone who has such big ties in Boston, but not D.C. necessarily? I have a suspicion. We inherited the name, the original nonprofit, so not the one that we rejuvenated, but the original one whose name we took so that we could be a continuation of that and legit, was Crispus Addicts Development Corporation. Mm. That was the 80s. So I think it was just part of black consciousness at the time that they wanted to choose the name of a patriot, somebody who was Native American in India. So I think that's where it came. And we were going to come in and ditch the name and say, let's do Banneker, right? That, that might have been more fitting to D.C., <laughs> but who were we to ditch the name? No, I think y'all made the right choice. 
How can folks who are listening get involved in the park? We have a website, crispusaddictspark.org. Come to the park. There's QRC codes if you actually want to contribute to the grass. We've got a, a theater festival coming up in a couple of weeks, so come sit on the grass and, at dusk and watch uh, Back to the Future movies with us. Just come out and, par- and hang out in the park. And remember that it's private property. That's really difficult, particularly people who aren't especially careful with their charges. But when you're in the park, you're in. it's just like you're playing in someone's backyard. So I, we've opened our backyard to you. But it's not a public space. It's in a private space, so you need to act like you've got some sense. And be a good neighbor. Be a good neighbor. I can just tell when you talk about it how proud you are of this, and it really shines through, and it's such a shining jewel of this community, so well done. Yeah, I'm proud of it. I'm proud of my neighbors. My neighbors are all different colors. The majority color has changed since I've been here in 92. There's just a lot going on in the world right now, and there's a lot going on in the United States right now. But I'm happy, I'm proud of my neighbors and my neighborhood. This park is, we work really hard to be inclusive to everybody. I think this is an example of the way we want America to work. So let's get about that. I love it. Tyrone, thank you so much for inviting us to your backyard on this beautiful day in the park. You're welcome. And while we were out at Crispus Attics Park, we talked to a few others who were enjoying the space. What do you like about the park? It's very sort of like hidden from everywhere. That's what I really like about it. Drew, what brings you out here today? What do you like about this park? It's quiet, but it's pretty and it's, um, I don't know, it's always in good shape too. Like it's never muddy and uh, I don't know, it's just a nice scenic and uh, serene place to to be outside. Let me ask you this, if your dog could talk, what do you think your dog (laughs) would say that they like about this park? There's a lot to smell. There's a lot of things to smell. So Seamus, what brings you to the park today? Just hanging out. I'm on a little bit of a vacation. I'm supposed to be in uh, Colombia, uh, South America right now, but uh, I lost my passport, so <laughs> so I'm just, uh, I'm yeah, staycation, like, like you say. <laughs> Making the best of it. What's in Colombia that you can't get at Christmas Attics Park? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's, just, it's just the best. I would not rather be anywhere else than right, than right here. So. Oh. And before we let you go, some quick news. First, happy 64th birthday to Ben's Chili Bowl. The D.C. institution serving up chili, half-smokes, and fries will always have a special place in CityCast D.C.'s heart. Seriously, what are you waiting for? Go grab a half-smoke. Meanwhile, hundreds of academic affairs staff at American University are on strike this week, primarily over low wages. The strike is scheduled to last until Friday, and it also happens to be move-in week for students. In a letter to the AU community, Provost and Chief Academic Officer Peter Starr said that the university's offer would be the largest increase in compensation in over a decade. Classes start on August 29th. Finally, Shoto, a newcomer to DC's restaurant scene, is in hot water over its dress code. Top Chef alum Marjorie Meek Bradley was all set to dine at the space with chefs Michael Rafiti and Danny Lee, but was denied entry to the super luxe sushi space because she was wearing Birkenstocks. Shoto has a, quote, elegant and smart casual dress code policy, and it states no athletic wear, jerseys, shorts, beachwear, or flip-flops are permitted. What do you all think about restaurant dress codes? Shoot us an email with your thoughts. That's all for today here on CityCast DC. And if you enjoyed the show, why not tell a friend, rate the show, leave us a review, and subscribe to our morning newsletter. 
We'll be back on Thursday with more news from around the city. Talk to you then. Keep an eye out. I mean, it, Seamus Holland's password. Yeah, if anyone, if anyone finds Seamus's passport. <laughs>